Freemasons. Freedom, equality, fraternity, tolerance, and humanity. A look at the five basic ideals of the Freemasons leads us to believe that the world-famous group pursues truly noble goals. But how is it then that the members of this organization are repeatedly associated with sinister crimes and rumors? What's certain is that the Freemasons are divided into individual independent groups called lodges. The first official Masonic Lodge was established in England on June 24, 1717. While it was originally a purely male society. Nowadays, women are also allowed to join the ranks of Freemasons, which are meticulously sealed off to the outside world. How many Freemasons currently exist and what plans are being made behind closed doors is extremely difficult to answer. This is mainly due to the fact that the Freemasons have committed themselves to absolute secrecy, so that it's strictly forbidden to bring the secret customs and lodge matters into the public. The number of Freemasons worldwide is commonly estimated at 2.5 to 5 million members. However, if some conspiracy theories are to be believed, the official ideals of Freemasons do not reflect the true essence of the connection. Accordingly, the secret society is said to have triggered or staged numerous historical events. In addition to the murder of Abraham Lincoln, this also includes the alleged forgery of the moon landing. The American Revolution is also said to have started in the secret meetings of the Freemasons. However, the members only meet officially to talk about community service and the promotion of cultural activities. As far as we know, the Freemasons are nothing more than a group of people who are looking for a place to belong while spreading good intentions and enhancing their local culture. Though, if some theorists are to be believed, this seemingly light-hearted group may be nothing more than a cover-up for some of the most heinous crimes in world history. Bilderberg Conference Strictly speaking, the so-called Bilderberg Group is not a secret society in the classic sense. Rather, it refers to informal meetings of powerful personalities from business, politics, the media, the secret services, and the military. However, what's discussed in detail during these top-secret meetings is a well-kept secret. What we do know is that the conference was held for the first time in May 1954 at the Hotel de Bilderberg in the Netherlands, hence the name of the controversial meeting that's still in use today. At the time, Prince Bernard of the Netherlands had been invited to a large conference to discuss the future cooperation between Western Europe and North America. A Bilderberg conference typically extends over a period of three days. The participants mainly discuss issues relating to the world economy and international relations. As far as what the content of these meetings consists of, we don't know for sure. The public has never been given any knowledge of what takes place, only vague summaries of issues that were discussed. In addition, no member may be quoted by name. It goes without saying that the discussions are strictly confidential. The press will only be informed of the items on the the agenda and the participants when the conference is over. Last but not least, it's the strict secrecy of the topics of conversation that keeps fueling heated conspiracy theories. In the past, people have repeatedly spoken out in fear that the most powerful people in the world would meet up, believing that they're striving for merciless world domination. This so-called New World Order is supposed to include the establishment of a secret anti-Semitic world government. According to these theories, Theorists. These meetings don't actually discuss the topics that have been publicly revealed.
revealed. Instead, they discuss things that are never spoken of in a public setting, helping these rulers to gain absolute power and, in essence, overthrow various governments around the world. Unfortunately, there's no evidence to back up these claims. However, what goes on behind closed doors should never be underestimated. In truth, we have no idea what these world leaders are discussing, and it could be anything from the most recent episode of My Little Pony to the second coming of Christ. That's what makes this group so terrifying. Welcome to The Machine, everyone. I am your host, Mario, here with my co-host, Jeff Rowe. Journey with us as we adventure into conspiracy theories and the unexplained. Hello and holy shit, everyone. We are back with you here. Our recording area, right, Jeff Rowe? You, yeah, I mean, you're right here, right here next to me. Jeff Rowe, how you doing, buddy? Good. How's everybody doing out there in podcast land? Once again, let's hope everybody's all right. Um... We're getting a lot of feedback, a lot of people contacting us, uh, Paul, Deborah, Ben, uh, once again, Roberta, Rory, Romilio, Ryan, Joey, Chris, Caitlin, Timothy, Hope, Josh, Vanessa, Stacy, Nicole, Angela, just the list goes on and on and on and on, guys. I cannot thank you guys enough, everybody reaching out and uh, showing their support. Thank you. Yes, thank you. We we do this as an outlet for ourselves, but we also do this for you guys. And you know, if you, it wasn't for you guys listening to us, we wouldn't wouldn't be able to be doing what we do. Right. I mean, other than that, it's just you and I bullshitting together, which we we like to do. But we like to do it for a reason too. We like to share some of the information that you and I stumble upon. Which you know, we stumbled upon some information tonight. Uh, sometimes you and I just get together to do a little research and a little bit of homework and. We find some things that kind of surprise us as well, and, and you'll be hearing about it in the next couple episodes here. Um, real startling stuff. So for this episode, uh, Jeff Rowe, you and I decided we're going to cover Freemasons and the Bilderberg Group, right? Right. Well, first up, the Freemasons. The, the reason why we wanted to touch base with the Freemasons is you and I have discussed this, and it seems as though all these mystery teachings, all of these secret societies go all the way back, go all the way back to Egypt, right? Masonry, you know, the whole idea of Mason uh, building and whatnot. Well, they even go back as far as, you know, Sumerian text. Right. Some, some of the uh, some of the images and imagery that we've seen in some of the things shared there have correlations with you know, a lot of the imagery that a lot of modern secret societies have now, which is very strange odd you have to wonder why and what, what the correlation is and, and we're going to be going down that rabbit hole continuously here in this episode and in the next uh, couple episodes leading into 
our 9-11 episode. And again, there's a reason to this madness why we're doing these episodes before then. And then really, you're going to be able to look back at a lot of our other episodes and go, oh shit, okay, maybe this makes sense with this episode and this episode and all the other stuff that you uh, idiots did. So yeah, yeah <laughs> so we... We, we, we constantly promise you guys a common thread, and, and we, we're about to maybe weave our first basket for you guys. For sure, for sure. And if, you, uh, if you're if you like us and you have people calling you idiots, because we do from time to time, right? You guys are crazy. There's no way. There's And then you start pointing out all the little things. And then it's like, oh, really? Oh, well, maybe you're not an idiot. Maybe you're not as crazy as I thought you were. And that's 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 kind of like what pulls us all together here when everybody listens and, uh, you know, we kind of come together and we talk about these things. We're not telling everybody to believe everything. And once again, we don't do that, but um, we're not dismissive. Why would we be dismissive? I mean, just to believe everything that you're told. Well, no, that's if you have a closed mind like that, you're never going to be open to new information. Right. And if you're not open to new information, then. You're basically already indoctrinated. You've indoctrinated yourself into believing that you know everything. And if you know everything, then there's no getting to you. Yeah, um, you may and, as well be a bot. Right. And, and something that we talk about here a lot is either you're growing or you're dying, right? You're either evolving or you're, you know, diminishing. So if, the, if your goal is to continuously grow, learn new things, then the only way to do that is to be open. Maybe you may not agree to the subject matter, but maybe at least be open to it, look into it, and then uh, if for whatever reason you don't find information that you know convinces you, then that's cool. fine. But yeah. at least you know you're open to it. Yeah, and there's a reason why we, you know we say this. We say this a lot. We say it a lot on all of our podcast episodes. And there's, I think there's a reason why is because some of the stuff that we get into, and especially when we get into some of the deeper, crazier stuff that you know, we're about to get into, is uh, you know, just that, you know, it's okay. You don't want to believe it? That's fine. Listen, hear it out. You know, make up your mind afterwards, but don't be dismissive. And on that note, Jeffro, we're. Uh, Let's start out with the, the Freemasons. Now, we talk about the Freemasons all the time, right? It's the Say Secret Society. They're not really a secret. You know, everybody knows about the Freemasons and the Freemason lodges and everything. And, and you know, maybe some of those, maybe your aunt or your uncle or, or brother or father is a Freemason. And, you know, it's very well possible they are. It's very well possible they don't know the uh, deeper inner workings like you and I were talking about their levels um, to uh, the secret societies and, and almost every secret society, right? Because if you give all the information to everyone, well then, you know, you don't have, like you were saying in the last podcast, you don't have your worker bees, right? You don't have the people to do the stuff that you need them to do to make these things work. And you can't really give that knowledge out all the time. It's harder to control if everybody knows. And people say, well, if, you know, th these things were happening. Don't you think somebody would say something? Yeah, absolutely. They would. That's why they don't know. <laughs> That's why. Yeah, sure. They're part of this secret society. That doesn't mean they know everything about it. That's why there are levels. And more specifically in this particular secret society or non-secret society there are 33 levels and what why why are there 30 such an odd number 
just to throw out there and say, you know what, we're going to have 33 levels to uh, our secret society, our club. Why do you think that is, Jeffro? Well, I mean, part of it goes to numerology. Some of it goes towards religion. Um, you got one of the biggest symbols in, in masonry is the triangle. So, you know, you got the three sides. 33 plays a big part into the numerology of a triangle. So it, it seems as though the, one of the things of Freemasonry, and like you were saying, anybody can be into Freemasons. I think it's estimated that there's approximately 2 million people in the United States today that are actually part of a Freemasonry Lodge. So, you know, this, we're, we're not going to be trying to cast aspersions on everybody that's part of these organizations. What we focus on are the compartmentalization, right? The people at the top of the pyramid, so to say, right? Yeah. If you, if you disseminate all your information along those worker bees, you, you don't retain your power. You don't retain your clout. You don't retain your hierarchy mm-hmm. or, your, you know, your chain of command. And it's those people at the very top of these organizations are usually on in the know. Not all the time, but they're the ones that can pull the strings. Because it's easier for one or two people to pull the strings than it is to get everybody together and have a you know common idea. So basically, it's just these people at the very top. Like we talk about with the 1% and the elites and everything else and every sort of facet that we you know come across in our day-to-day lives that seem to be our overlords. They, they seem to have the ability to basically dictate our lives to us. And those of us who are waking up to these realizations, we, we come across this information and this is what we're trying to fight against. You know, This is the information we're trying to get out and say, hey, listen, you have divine autonomy. You know, We just have to learn how to practice it. Yeah, and you were mentioning you know, some of the correlation there with the uh, 33, right? The 33 levels of the Freemasonry. And one of the correlations was religion. And there are a lot of people believe that the reason why there is that, and I I believe I spoke about this in the last podcast, was that there is a correlation with the the age of the death of Christ, which was supposed to be 33 whenever Christ died, right? Right, yeah, the... That's what that's what it is in the Bible. It says that he died at the age of thirty. At the age of thirty-three. So sometimes some people say, "Well, it's you know, it's an omen, a remembrance to you know our Savior." Other people say it's a mockery. I know Disney. We were talking about Disney. They have a thirty-three club, and I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Walt Disney himself was also a Freemason. If I'm not okay, so it was speculated. That he was a member of uh, the Freemasons, but he did have within Disney his own 33 club where certain people only the top of the top. We're talking about uh, like a hundred and what they say it was like a hundred and twenty five thousand dollar entrance fee into wow. this club. Yeah. So not just anybody is getting into this club. Right. And this is Disney. Right. This is. Yeah. This is the what 40s, 50s. $125,000 was $125,000 back then. It was like 750000 or a million. So. So. Right. And well, the club, from what I understand, is still continuing. It's still there. So one has to wonder, you know, one, why? Why is it still active? Why is why is this necessary for an organization who practices movies uh, for children? And theme parks for children. And to jump in there, Mario, what's interesting is I came across a cartoon that Disney produced 
called Gravity Falls. Oh, yeah, Gravity Falls. It was yeah. on uh, Disney XD. Disney XD, and it has a lot of imagery. It even has a character that is the actual eye. The all-seeing eye. The all-seeing eye. Yeah. So, and I haven't gotten into the show, but I've seen people comment on it, and it's sort of a show that touches on imagery and, and symbolism and mysticism and, and things like ghosts and whatnot. So I'm really excited about getting into that show. And if any of our listeners out there know something about Gravity Falls, please reach out. Uh, it's, it's a subject matter that I'm, I'm new to. So uh, that'd be really interesting if anybody out there can do that. But this goes to your idea of Disney always seemingly finding themselves in the center of attention when it comes to conspiracy and, you know, Symbolism, symbolism, and sure. you know, even you know this, this almost pedophilia like pedophilia like obsession with with children and whatnot. So it's it's interesting, like so many, so many coincidences that continuously pop up with this organization going all the way back to when it was started. How many coincidences do you want to have that arise to the surface without? having a real question like you having to step back and say okay what's really going on here well i mean it's like the peter pan thing right oh remember the peter pan thing? you and i were just talking about the peter pan thing okay so i seen a video where uh this guy was talking about peter pan and he goes what if hook wasn't really the bad guy he was just portrayed as a bad guy because he had a hook hand what if he wasn't the bad guy what if he was stop trying to stop a trafficker and peter pan from taking children from their homes into Never Never Land. So here we have this figure in Peter Pan who's trafficking children into this unknown land and this unknown realm, right? And you've got this hook guy, this pirate, who's trying to stop him, and he's he's deemed the bad guy. Meanwhile, your children are watching this going, yeah, I'd like to go to Never Never Land. I can't wait for a guy in green tights to come pick me up someday. That doesn't sound too good, right? And the creator of the story, right? The creator of the story, Peter Pan, he uh, he took some extreme measures there, didn't he, in creating the story of this? Well, I'm, I'm trying to go off of memory here. So basically, the story of Peter Pan itself was written off a, a, a family, a, a group, um, J.M. Barry. The, the story of Peter Pan itself, what's interesting is there's some speculation that this guy was a possible, maybe not a physical pedophile, but somebody who enjoyed controlling other people. And the story goes, the family that he wrote Peter Pan about, he sort of stalked because he was an aspiring author. And I might get this story a little bit skewed, so I apologize if I don't get it correct. Mm-hmm. But he was infatuated with this author that he believed that he had a, a kinship with. And this family was related to this author. And he was tracking this family in hopes of being able to get close to this author. And I think the author ends up dying before he got a chance to get in communication with him. So what he what he had done was he followed this family to a park, right? And he started commenting on the children and playing with the children's dog and whatnot. He became a family friend. And... What ended up happening was, I believe the father passed away, and he tried to marry the mother, 
but very quickly, I don't know if he took the children off the mother, or I believe the mother passed away as well very quickly. And as a result, instead of the children going to the aunt like they were supposed to, he actually took, uh, you know, guardianship over these three children. In essence, he kidnapped these children. In in essence, right. And I'd have to really go back and and do the research. I didn't think we were going to go down this path. But uh, yeah, he, he basically took these children and these children were not well adjusted as they grew up. Like they showed a lot of the signs and traumas that children who suffer from pedophilia. Yeah, physical and sexual yeah. abuse. But the youngest daughter, or the youngest, I think it was the daughter, or maybe it was the son, um, said later on in life that there was never any physical sort of interaction between him and the children, but there was a lot of sort of mysticism of you know being always childlike and not growing up and lurking and leering and things like this. Uh, and the mother even came out prior to her death in a quote whenever they were doing book tours or, or something along those lines to a reporter said something about he was unable to perform or he was. I'm getting a Michael Jackson feel here. Very similar, which is interesting, the correlation to modern times and modern history with Michael Jackson. And what was the name of his ranch? Never, never. Land. <laughs> yeah. So the idea that you have whenever you talk about. You know, this constant affiliation with Peter Pan, movies with Disney, um, even the people who contributed to creating these stories. There is this very dark, sort of deep-seated notion that there's something going on whenever it comes to interactions with children. To me, it was like, it was one of those things that just popped in my head when we were talking about the 33 Club, Disney, and all that fun stuff, uh, you know, with the Freemasons and you would think maybe selective groups would be more selective about their followers. But I guess when you get so big, it, it becomes harder to do. Um, but we were talking about the, uh, the origins of the Freemasons, which could go back as far. I mean, they say the early 1700s, right? Right. They say 1717. There's even some, some people, some scholars that claim that maybe go back to 1599 in Scotland. Yeah. Um, so, but if you think about it, it seems like it goes back even further. And, and there's even some evidence to this. Um, uh, one of the uh, ancient Egyptian history authors, Alfonso Marietta, he wrote in the Egyptian mystery schools, to the initiate of the sanctuary, no doubt, was reserved the knowledge of the God in the abstract, the God concealed in the unfathomable depths of his own essence. But for the less refined adoration of the people, were presented the endless images of deities, sculptures on the walls of the temples. And the pool for Freemasonry, it was said, is it is Freemasonry's aim to educate and initiate on the God concealed in the unfathomable depths of his own essence, represented by the letter G in the logo of Freemasons. In the middle of the square and the compasses symbolizing the divine spark within the God essence of oneself. So basically, the um, there was there was a Christian priest named Origen, O R I G E N. He said that the Egyptian philosophers have sublime notions with regard to the divine nature, which they kept secret, and never discovered the people, but under a veil of fables and allegories. He once again, uh, once again, we see the similarities to the teaching methods of Freemasonry, 
which is performed by the way of symbolism and allegory and never revealed to the uninitiated. So basically, it, it's an example of the very definition of secret. With, with many different uh, quote-unquote clubs, right, if that's what you want to call this. Uh, I wouldn't call them Boy Scouts or anything, but um, with many different clubs, they have... Uh, they have rituals, right? Like initiation rituals. Um, some of them have uh, almost almost threatening type of rituals, also to to, to kind of keep their place. As in, uh, I don't know, you talk, you die, type of thing. Yeah, yeah. And and there is an article about that we could get into, but uh, just to go ahead and try to tie the the rituals of the Masonic lodges and and the old ancient mystery schools. Uh, it's it's said in the initiation rituals that Masonic teachings center on the initiations. Each of the Freemasons' three degrees take the candidates through a journey steeped in history, symbolism, and allegory to teach him lessons of how to raise his divine spark, realize his relationship to a higher power, which is God, and live a life of moral rectitude. The occult scholar Lewis Spence in 18, he was born in 1874 and died in 1955, tells us of the same goal of the initiate and back in Egypt. He says, the purpose of the initiation is a conventional attempt to realize man's place in the universe and in the divine scheme of things. And for this, he believes, the Egyptian mystery system achieved for the first time in an orderly and philosophical manner. Have we and have we no lessons to learn from Egypt. I, he says, the greatest in the world, knowledge of that divine introspection, which alone can give man the likeness of the divine. So, again, this is sort of the idea that we talked about when we started the series with, you know, these these people of these secret societies. They almost kind of think of themselves as bigger and better sometimes and, and, you know, more powerful, more religious, more divine than the common man and they come to these these halls these different areas to congregate and, and practice those tools of divinity over the community so we, we fast forward a little bit we get to the revolutionary war okay and ironically here veer the the heads of these secret societies again and the freemasons being one as you know uh, george washington being a member of the Freemasons, Ben Franklin being a member of the Freemasons. Um, I believe they said 30% of those who signed the Declaration of Independence yeah, were thir- all Freemasons. 13 of 39. 39 people who signed the Declaration of Independence, 13, which was a percentage of 33%. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, if, 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 if that doesn't, you know, 33% really. Yep. Wow. Okay, so that's cool. Um, one of the one of the other people who were involved was uh, uh, involved with the creation of Washington D.C. The layout of Washington D.C. They wanted a capital, right? They wanted something to represent this new country that was founded, possibly by Freemasons. Possibly. Um, <laughs> Pierre Charles Alphant. He was Pierre a Frenchman. Charles a Frenchman. Yeah. He was a Frenchman. He was also uh, a Freemason as well. Um, and thanks to our French listeners, listeners out there, because it, let's be honest, if it wasn't for the French, we wouldn't have won the Revolutionary War either. No, absolutely not. Um, so, yeah, again, 
like you to your point there, Jeff Rowe, thank you to our Frenchmen. I know we, you know, many people tease the French. Hell, it's this is the United States that we tease ourselves and, you know, everyone else around us. We're not really, <laughs> we're not really a faint of heart type of country here. I don't know. But uh, yeah, Pierre, Pierre, Peter, Charles Lafont, right? Freemason would, had created the uh, the layout of Washington D.C. Now this goes along the, with the grid, the of grid, the streets, and everything. Right, yeah. the, the grid of the streets. Now, if anybody were to take this time to look at the grid of the streets of uh, Washington D.C., it's not normal. It's not. No, it's not a straight grid. It's not a normal grid. You don't have your up and down, left and right type of grid like you would in a normal town or city or whatever. There is some odd shit going on within this creation and even more so odd is the five star pentagram created from the roads and i believe it's upside down like the the pointed stars of pointing, yeah pointing south right so the imagery there uh which is often used in satanism uh, is something that freemasons have been known to do and incorporate and that was something that he did here and do you know what's at the tip of the fifth point? No, I'm not. I'm not aware. What is it? That'd be the White House, my friend. Oh, it's the White House. It's the White House. You know, where the devil lives. Where the <laughs> mouth of the goat is. <laughs> where the mouth of the goat is. Not very nice. Yeah. So, here you have... Almost to say he's the, the mouthpiece of possible evil entities right so here you have a country that was created by a secret society so to speak maybe not completely some help you got your worker bees you've got those who are tired of being oppressed by king george right right what better maybe they're doing the right thing maybe you know they want sovereignty understandable right no taxation without representation wait a minute what year is this (laughs) i mean I don't know about you, Jeffro, but they take taxes out of my paycheck. If I buy something, they take taxes. If I want to do anything, if I buy gas or whatever, if I, if I do anything, I'm always paying taxes. Hell, at the end of the year, they want me to pay more taxes. The only representation right now in D.C. is representation for the elite and for the the wealthy, the corporations right yeah. now. That's that's, but somehow. Because they're the only ones that can stuff the pockets of the politicians. Somehow we lost our way, I would say, in my personal opinion. But This commercial brought to you by Pfizer. Pfizer. Go get yours today. We're probably brought to you by Pfizer. What? Uh-oh. We're going to get fact-checked on this. Oh, my gosh. That's a completely different podcast. <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna... Just a joke, people. It, we are not sponsored by Pfizer or any corporate evil entities like Pfizer. And I guess that would be opinionated, but I mean, you do, you know, make your own judgment, you know, decide for yourself. I don't feel that these uh, corporate entities are doing anything, you know, really good, in my opinion. I have my opinions. You have yours. Right, Jeffro? Uh, yeah. I mean, we're, we're not sponsored by Pfizer. We wouldn't take that blood money if, if they offered us a billion dollars. No. Uh, we're, we're, and again, it's, I guess it's opinionated, right? Because there are people out there. Allegedly. Who, Anyways, we're just we're, we're just yeah yeah oh my gosh we're we're we're, we're trying to dig ourselves out of the hole we already dug ourselves into dig right ourselves now. out of the hole but it's just a continuation it seems a continuation of centralized power right 
And speaking of centralized power and corporate entities, I mean, it's kind of hard to talk about Freemasons and uh, corporate entities and centralized power without talking about another group you and I were talking about uh, alongside the Bilderberg Group. The Bilderberg Group, yeah. Oy. Is it Bilderberg or Bilderberger? Because I kind of like a burger. I would like better if it was Bilderberger, but... Build Back Bitter Bilderberger? Build Back Bilderberger! <laughs> the BBB. is <laughs> the BB. So you go to a, a grocery store and you stack spaghetti sauce with a forklift. Idiot. What a jackass of a president we have. Did he really say that? Fucking embarrassment, yeah. He had no idea what the hell he was talking about. If I could wow. find a clip, I'll place it. $1.2 billion in overtime was denied by our, for hourly workers who were not unionized. $1.2 billion. So you go ahead and you stack spaghetti sauce at a store in, in, in a supermarket. You control the guy or the woman who runs the, run, brings out the carts on, 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 on a forklift. What happens? They make you management. You can't get paid overtime. And you see it happening with labor as well. So the bottom line is I'm for you because America needs you to grow. Um, so Bilderberg Group. So what are these? I mean, these, this, again, we talk about secret societies that are supposed to be secretive, a non-secret secret society. These people meet at a hotel, which, uh, uh, what was the first, the first meeting was in Switzerland. I think it was like 56 or something like that. Yeah, they switch it up. They meet every year. I, I believe it's, what is it, in the spring? Or something like that. Uh, whenever their dark lord allows. Whenever their dark lord allows. And basically, it's a summons, what it seems, is a summons of all the leaders in the world. I mean, isn't that kind of what a new world order is? That's what it sounds like to me. I and mean, it, they don't... Much like the UN, right? I mean, this is like a secret... This is like a, like a more centralized secret compartment of the UN where they get together at a hotel and uh, uh, rub hot butter all over each other's nipples or something. I don't know. Like eyes wide shut style, um, right? <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting though. Like you talk about the UN, at least their their policies they're open to the public for the most part, right? Yeah. This Bilderberger, you got all these elites coming in to a central location, but they never disseminate what they're talking about. They never no. tell the public. Like usually, whenever you go to any sort of summit, any any time you have. Uh, a world leader come to America or we go to a world leader, you got press conferences and you got, you know, time the press can interact with the leaders and sure. talk. Yeah. And they discuss what's on the agenda, what's going on. None of that happens whenever they go to this Bilderberg group. It's you can watch them go in and you watch them come out. There's no questions, there's nothing. You know, whatever is said and done in those behind those closed doors. That's not for us to hear. Right. And, and like the press, because the press has even been at the gates of these hotels where they hold these meetings. The press, the, the, the press has been at the gates. They're not allowed beyond the gates. They're not allowed even at the doorstep of these hotels. So when the press is there, they're told by guards. They have like secret service type of guards there. And, and they don't allow anybody. If, if you're not in, if you're not invited, Right. And I think they said uh, it was like it's it's not a whole lot of people. There's a certain amount of people, mainly big corporate heads, right? For the most part, I mean, we're, as we're far talking as about, not world leaders, yeah, right, right. As far as not world leaders, right? I mean, we're, we're talking like would uh, just to drop a name, George Soros, Rothschilds, Rothschilds, 
anybody Rockefellers. like that. Rockefellers. Yeah. Um, so the, these guys are the ones, if you want to talk about the elite, this is the elite we're talking about. This is the 1% that we're talking about. It's these people, right? Forget your politicians. Forget your puppets. Here are the puppet masters. Right. Right. And what's so upsetting about that as just a regular citizen, those are supposed to be our constituents. They're not our constituents, but they're supposed to be our representatives. And you talked shortly, uh, a short time ago about taxation without representation. Well, these are our representatives. They would not supposedly be in their position without our vote. Right. Okay. So if they have a public servant going to these meetings, right? They should not be allowed, especially if they hold office, public office. They should not be allowed to withhold the information that they learn or garner from there. But then that also leads to the question, were they really voted into those positions? Or is there a reason why they're going to these Bilderberger conferences? Were they in collusion or in confidence, the ones that put these people, the the Bilderberger group, are they the group that... Put the president in the White House? Are they the person that put the vice president, you know, in the White House? Are 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 these puppets themselves too? Just to go to another level here, you were saying these are the ones pulling the strings. But if you look at it just in a general way, if you are public, if you're holding public office, then what you know should be given to the American public. And if that's not the case, then how did you get this position? Well, was this position, did you earn this position in a free electoral manner or was this position given to you? Well, I would think, and from what I understand, more often than not, that the elected officials are not a part of these, uh, you know, the bigger meetings, right? So you're right, they do meet, but to say that they meet in one room at one time and that's it, I don't think that's the case. I think so. There's levels here too. I think there's levels here too. For You're sure, you. absolutely. And, and, and he, I think it's the, it's it's the corporate pocket fillers for the politicians that are at the top of this food chain, where they're sitting around in, in a board meeting with maybe ten, twenty people, or whatever, saying, "Okay, we're going to incite riots here and." do all of this and we'll put this through the media and we'll get everybody going. And meanwhile, you know, we'll release, uh, we'll get ready to release a a new uh, virus onto the public. And I mean, it's crazy, but they're not hiding it. They're, they're really not hiding it. And one of the, one of the things that we, uh, we were talking about recently was the great reset. And I mean, if you want to talk about who's, where's the great reset coming from, this is it. This is where it's coming from. It's coming from the Bilderberg Group. This is where the Great Reset is coming from. And if you if you're sitting back and you're going, okay, all right, Mario, time out, bullshit. There's no Great Reset. Yeah, there is, and they're not lying to you about it. Nobody is lying to you about it. Nobody is hiding it from you. There's there's reports. Uh, one of them was the, the Hill Rising. Another Hill Rising, not not from uh, Crystal Sager, but uh, the girl on there. She does a very good job, I think. Um, personally, but she she covered it, and she covered the, the Great Reset. Russell Brand, actor Russell Brand, another very good YouTuber. I, I like his stuff as well, and so do you. Uh, he covered the Great Reset, and the thing is, is when you talk about something that sounds like a conspiracy theory, like a Great Reset, how can this be? Well, 
it's that simple. Because to any mind who isn't aware, that's exactly what they think. This can't be. Well, it it, it, it can be. It is be. It do be. Doobie. Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Doobie-dooby-doo. So, no, but actually, you, you touch on a really good point here. And we're going to... We're going to go ahead and we're going to elaborate on this a little bit more. This actually leads us into another secret society we're going to cover in a future podcast called the WEF. And it's not really a secret society, but it's a society of elites. It's a society that talks about everything about the Great Reset. Now, what does that stand for? What does WEF stand for? It stands for the World Economic Forum. So, Hmm. yeah, right? Um, It's something we plan on doing here very shortly. So... But yeah, it's it's again the Bilderberger Group is this group based in Europe, which is exactly where the World Economic Fund is based. I, without looking it up real quick, I think it's somewhere in Switzerland or somewhere along those lines. And they just—it it seems they have their tentacles latched onto everybody all across the globe or the flat Earth, however you want to look at it. <laughs> but they've got their tentacles everywhere. The Bilderberger Group does, including. They've got their tentacles, you know, and connections with the WEF. They have their connections into everything. I mean, world economic, media, uh, military. Uh, we're talking, when, when when you hear things, and this is something that, you know, I was recently talking to uh, one of our Discord, um, Discord people about Mike from Canada. I'm going to mention him again. Mike, how you doing there, buddy? What's up, Mike? What do you do, Mike? With with the different things and the different movements in the military community, it almost seems like a lot. You know, a lot of these things are happening, and they're coming from above to create a facade, a false flag, almost. And I also I also shared a video on our Discord, and and with you, Jeffro, of uh, uh, was it was it the military defense coordinator or something like the u.s military defense coordinator um i'll find the video and i'll share it here it's uh it's this gentleman he's talking about uh false flags and something that the u.s constantly said false flags are not a thing when especially whenever alex jones come out about it and he he kind of got called out on it by the reporter so i'll go ahead and i'll we have previously noted our strong concerns regarding Russian disinformation and the likelihood that Moscow might create, seek to create, a false flag operation to initiate military activity. Now, we can say that the United States has information that Russia is planning to stage fabricated attacks by Ukrainian military or intelligence forces as a pretext for a further invasion of Ukraine. One possible option the Russians are considering, and which we made public today, involves the production of a propaganda video, a video with graphic scenes of false explosions, depicting corpses, crisis actors pretending to be mourners, and images of destroyed locations or military equipment, entirely fabricated by Russian intelligence. To be clear, the production of this propaganda video is one of a number of options that the Russian government is developing as a fake pretext to initiate and potentially justify military aggression against Ukraine. We don't know if Russia will necessarily use this or another option in the coming days. We are publicizing it now, however, in order to lay bare the extent of Russia's destabilizing actions towards Ukraine and to dissuade Russia from continuing this dangerous campaign and ultimately launching a military attack. 
Russia has signaled it's willing to continue diplomatic talks as a means to de-escalate, but actions such as these suggest otherwise. We will continue to diligently work together with our allies and partners to expose Russian disinformation and other hybrid tactics used against Ukraine. We continue to work to prevent any effort Moscow might make to justify further military action in Ukraine. We again urge Russia to stop its destructive and destabilizing disinformation campaign, to de-escalate tensions, and to engage in diplomacy and dialogue for a peaceful solution. Thank you. Uh, thanks. Uh, okay, well, that's a, quite a mouthful there. Um, so you said actions such as these suggest otherwise, suggest meaning they, they suggest they're not interested in talks and they're going to go ahead with some kind of a... What action are you talking about? One, the actions I've just pointed to. Uh, the what fact, action? What? The, the fact that Russia continues to engage uh, in disinformation well, uh, campaigns. You, know, you made an allegation that they might do that. Have they actually done it? Uh, what we know, Matt, is what we what I have just said that they have engaged in this activity, well, uh, in this planning well, activity. But, but let me let me because because obviously this is not this is not the first time we've made uh, these reports public. You'll remember that just a few well, weeks I, ago. I'm sorry, you, made, made, made what report public? If you let me finish, I will okay. tell you what report we made okay. public. Uh, we told you a few weeks ago that we have information indicating Russia also has already prepositioned a group of operatives to conduct a false flag operation in eastern Ukraine. So that, Matt, to your question, is an action that Russia has already well, taken. It's an action that you say that they have taken, but you have shown no evidence to, 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 to confirm that. And I'm going to get to the next question here, which is, what is the evidence that they, I mean, this is like crisis actors, really? This is like Alex Jones territory you're getting into now. Um, what evidence do you have to support the idea that there is some propaganda film in the, in, in the making? Matt, this is derived uh, from information known to the U.S. government, intelligence information that we have declassified. I think you well, know. Okay, well, where, where is it? Where, where is this information? It is intelligence information that we have declassified. Well, where is it? Where is the declassified information? I just delivered it. No, you made a series of allegations and statements. Would you, would you like us to print it out the topper? Because you will see a transcript of this briefing that you can print out for but yourself. That's not evidence, Ned. That's you saying it. That's not evidence. I'm sorry. <laughs> what would you like, Matt? I, I would like to see some proof that you, that, 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 that you can show that... that Matt, you have that, been that, that shows you, that 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 you, shows that the Russians are doing this. Ned, I've been doing this for. a I long know that time. was my point. As, you you as have you, know. you you have been doing this for quite a while. You know I that have. when we declassify intelligence That's information, right. and I we do so in, in a means. In we do and so. I, and, we do so with an eye to that, protecting that sources and methods. Is not going to fall. I, I remember a lot of things. So where, where where is the declassified information other than you coming out here and saying? Matt, I'm sorry you don't like the format, uh, but we have declassified. It's not the format; it's the content. I'm sorry you don't like the content. I'm sorry it's you. I'm sorry like you are doubting this. the information that is in the possession of the U.S. government. No, I, I, what I'm telling you is that this is information that's available to us. We are making it available to you uh, in order uh, for a couple reasons. One is to attempt to deter the Russians from going ahead with this activity. Two, in the event we're not able to do that, in the event the Russians do go ahead with this, to make it clear as day, to lay bare the fact that this has always been an attempt on the part of the Russian Federation to fabricate a pretext. Yeah, but you don't have any 
any evidence to back it up other than what you're saying. It's like you're saying, we think we, we, we have information that the Russians may do this, but you won't tell us what the information well, is. That, and then when, when, that, when you're that, asked... That, that is the idea behind when, deterrence, Matt. When, that is the idea behind asked, deterrence. And when it is asked, our hope that the Russians don't go forward with this. And when you information is, you say, I just gave it to you. But that, that's not what you you seem not to not understand. You seem not to no, no, understand no, the idea of deterrence. We are trying to deter the, the Russians of... from moving forward with this type of activity. That is why we are making it public today. If the Russians don't go forward with this, that is not uh, ipso facto an indication that they never had plans to do so. Uh, but then it's unprovable. <laughs> My God, what is the evidence that you have that suggests that that, that the Russians are even planning this? Matt, you, I mean, I'm not you, saying that they're not. But you just come out and say this and expect us just to, to, to believe it without you showing a shred of evidence that it's actually true. Other than when I ask, or when anyone else asks, what's the information? You said, well, I just gave it to you, which was just you making a statement. Matt, you said yourself, you've been in this business for quite a long time. You know that when we make information, uh, intelligence information public, we do so uh, in, a, in a way that protects sensitive sources and methods. You also know that we do so, we declassify information only when we're confident in that information. You if you doubt, if you doubt the, the credibility of the U.S. government, of the British government, uh, of other governments, and want to uh, you know, find uh, solace in information that uh, the solace? Russians are putting out, uh, that is uh, that is for wanna, you to do. I'm not asking what, what the Russian government is putting out. And what, John, do you, what is it supposed to be? Officials are describing uh, very specific scenes, but do they actually have a video? The the fact that we are able to go into such great detail, uh, obviously, I'm not going to spell out what is in our possession, but I will leave uh, I will leave it to you. Uh, I will leave that to your uh, to your judgment. There, there, there are no facts that you've spelled out. Coming days, do you have evidence this was intended to come out in the coming days? We've we've said then for some time now that the Russians. Uh, have positioned forces, uh, they have undertaken preparations, that if Putin decides to move forward with an invasion, uh, they're positioned to do so. You they are poised to do so. In the coming day. One, just one, one last thing. Like, I, I, I'm not buying into Russian propaganda, but I'm also not going to buy into an, I'm not accusa asking you an to accusation. Yes, you are. You're saying the proof is that I just said it. So let me just appeal to you. On behalf of all of us, and the American people, and the people of the world, and the Russian people, and the Ukrainian people, one piece of evidence to suggest that the Russians are planning to use crisis actors to stage a false mass casualty event to use as a pretext. Just one piece, okay? And not you, or Kirby, or Jen, or John Finer, or Jake saying this is what is so. And then you turning around and saying, "Well, because we said it, it's a fact." So let me one let, piece of let me one make, piece of verifiable evidence. Let, let me make let me make a, a couple broad points, and I I, I acknowledge this will probably unset, be unsatisfactory to you in the moment. Uh, but uh, here's what I think you know, uh, what I certainly know, uh, what everyone here knows. There are a hundred thousand Russian troops encircling Ukraine right now. Uh, approaching Ukraine's borders, close to the borders. There are thousands of Russian troops, uh, with the potential for some 30,000 Russian troops to stream in to Belarus. 
uh, all of these forces are positioned, could well be positioned if Putin makes that decision uh, to uh, engage on Ukraine in a coordinated assault. Uh, we also know uh, that the Russians have resorted to these tactics in the past, uh, have uh, developed a remarkably similar playbook in 2014, amassed troops, uh, engaged in 2014, it is a historical fact, uh, engaged in disinformation and propaganda to paint Ukraine as the aggressor, uh, fabricated a pretext for an invasion, and went in. So with what we know from eight years ago, with what we have seen, you and I both have seen, everyone has seen, with what we have heard eight years ago, in the ensuing eight years, uh, and in recent weeks, um, it seems to me that uh, it should not be outlandish uh, that the Russians may be uh, engaging well, in this okay, activity fine, but not again. being outlandish doesn't mean that you have any proof that it's, that it's happening the second point, or being the second planned. Point, the Hold second on, point. Ned, you can't just... All of that may very well be true. It probably is true, okay? But it doesn't provide any evidence of what you're alleging now, which is that they're planning this mass fake mass casualty event with quote unquote crisis actors, which is something that, you know, in the US, we rarely hear outside of the kind of, you know, nutty conspiracy theory um, uh, crowd. Well, to be to be clear, we're not alleging what the United States is doing. Uh, this is information available to us. No, no, what the Russians are up to. I understand your point, but I just you, want to. You do because I mean uh, you're treading into serious waters here, and 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 if you can't provide any evidence other than well, I said so, and so it's a fact, that's a problem. Matt, there's a second point. Uh, this is derived from intelligence, intelligence in which uh, we well, have confidence, we, in which we have confidence. The otherwise, same confidence you had in, in, otherwise, in WMD uh, otherwise, in otherwise, mean, what, what? otherwise, we would not be making it public in the way we are. Uh, but here's here's the other point: um, intelligence and evidence. Uh, these are two separate things. Uh, it is uh, no. You're, but you're saying it's a fact. And that, it, that you have proof, and then you can't offer any proof and to, to, to show this fact. I'll drop it. The, I think we Thank should you. move on. Yeah. Okay, so there you go. I mean, how can you sit back for years and years and years and say false flags are conspiracy theorist thing? Right, states don't entertain false flag right. operations. And then turn around and say, hey, this this country is about to create a false flag so it can get sympathy from the U.S. government. Or is it the U.S. government creating this false flag of a false flag? Is right. what seems more probable to me anyway. You as a parent know this. Whenever someone, one of your children come up to you and they say, oh, you're lying. Or they're claiming one of their siblings are lying. And then the other sibling comes up and says, no, you're lying. At this point, once you admit that something like a false flag operation is possible at, on the grand scheme of things, now you got to ask yourself, like you said, well, if you're saying it's possible, now are you performing a false flag operation on your citizens? When, when, once you allow that possibility, now you're almost doubling back and kind of backtracking and trying to you know cover your own tracks. Sure. So what, what's really going on? At, at that point, you lose... You know, you lose your credibility credibility with, with the public. So this is something that these 
these societies do, right? These, these are things that the governments love to do. They love to play God. They love to play this divine figure. They love to be able to play everybody like puppets. And it, it's, it's part of what empowers them. It's, it's part of the, the thing that makes them, you know, gets them off or gives them that, that metaphorical high. And it's, it's something that I've always, I'm a skeptical person as you are, right? Very, very skeptical. So we're, we're not told or we are told something. We don't, we don't immediately believe it. Right. So I don't care if it, I don't care if you're the U S secretary or, 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 the president himself or the vice president or military defense coordinator. I don't care who you are. Don't tell me to believe something just because you want me to believe it. Give me some evidence. Give me something to go off of. Otherwise I'm just going off your word. And let me be honest with you. Your word, your word really doesn't mean shit to me, especially right now in a government that's completely failing its people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and to go with, you know, your question of give you some evidence going back to the idea that one would want some more evidence as to how we can link the Freemasons with, with the Egyptians here. Um, there, there's a, a link between Freemason and Egypt with the Isis Osiris story. Right. Oh, do tell. Yeah. The, in the Egyptian rites, Horus is the savior Avenger son of Isis who's magically conceived through ritual after the brutal murder of her husband or brother, Osiris. And we can apply that myth to the modern Freemasonry allegory of the murder of Hiram Abith, the chief architect of Solomon's temple. Isis made a widow of Osiris's murder, and the Freemasons are called the widow's son. The widow's son is another, another term that the Freemasons go by. And gives birth through initial rituals to Horus, the Redeemer, raised solely that he may avenge the destruction of wisdom by Set and restore peace, harmony, and the just God in whom there is no death, the divine spark within. So there's a correlation, like almost like a direct correlation between the Freemasons and the ancient Egyptians. Again, trying to set in place the idea that Freemasonry goes all the way back then, and through them, they've branched off all these other sort of, you know, societies, these elite societies throughout time. In that vein, we're going to go ahead and, since this podcast is about the Freemasons, we wanted to go ahead and we wanted to give some more information here. Um, there are also very close similarities in their rituals between the Freemasons and the ancient Egyptian traditions. Uh, some of the similarities between the Freemasons and, and the Egyptians, uh, when when they first be, get an initiate, right, or a candidate of the Freemasons, mm-hmm. a free the initiate or candidate is blindfolded and has a rope tied, tied to his around. dick. No, oh, no. Oh, okay. For some of us, that'd be a small rope. <laughs> Good Lord, man. So All right. they're blindfolded and they have a rope tied around their neck by which he is led into a circuit of the room, the circular room. Uh, and this rope is called a cable towel. Now it's interesting, the cable towel, because it's a, pu- it has a purely Masonic meaning and use, but with as many Masonic symbols, it is also rooted way back in antiquity. Vases from ancient Mexico 
have been unearthed that showed candidates proceeding through a ceremony of initiation in which by they are led and uh, led by a rope wearing a noose rope around their necks and the religious ceremonies of the Brahmins, Greeks, and Druids, they all are worn around initiate's neck, the, the cable towel. And in the mystery schools of the ancient Egypt, a chain was placed around a candidate's neck as part of, its pres- pre- of, part of their preparation for initiation. So as in Freemasonry, the Egyptian candidates were they were always blindfolded to represent a state of darkness before emerging into the light of knowledge when the blindfold was removed. So a lot of times what this leads to is this this really sort of at least what seems to be a, a very dark sort of practice, right? And the Freemasons today we kind of think of as sort of benign local lodges, right? Yeah. But that hasn't always been the case. Well, right? that may still not be the case. Well, and and you're right, and, and you, you believe strongly that anything secret shouldn't be secret, right? Uh, but what's interesting, there was a, a gentleman by the name of William Morgan, and uh, he was. Wait, are you talking what, about the guy who was supposed to be exposing the Freemason secret uh, uh, secrets, basically? Right back in 1826, there was this big. Uh, sort of really sort of a nefarious sort of situation that happened. And it's what's interesting is the date uh, in the early morning hours of September 12th, very close to September 11th, interesting. Mm. Okay. In 1826 in Batavia, New York, a stone worker by the name of William Morgan went missing from a local jail. He wasn't a man of importance and he was known as a drunk or a drifter um, but he had moved his family relentlessly throughout the countryside, hauling his wife Lucinda and two young children from one failed venture to the next. Even though he was a vagabond, he was able to infiltrate the secret society of Freemasons, and he wanted to publish a book exposing the powerful organization and tactics. And I think you actually have a video that might go ahead and explain this a little bit better. Yeah, I believe I do. I'll go ahead and place it here. Freemasonry exerted some kind of power over the government or among society. Freemasonry was enormously successful in the early American Republic, but in 1826, a kind of disaster befell Freemasonry by the name of the Morgan Affair. In 1826, William Morgan, a prominent Freemason in upstate New York, signed a publishing contract promising to reveal secrets of the Masonic initiations. Traditionally, the Masonic oath has been quite blood-curdling. They were supposed to swear absolutely solemnly in front of all their brethren that they would never tell the secrets outside of the lodge, on pain of some quite hideous punishments, such as having their tongue torn out and their throat cut. When Morgan announces he's going to tell all the secrets of masonry, some of the guys in town decide to take their Masonic obligation much more seriously than they really should have. And they essentially throw him in a carriage, 
right off into the woods and Morgan shouts out the window, murder, as they go off into the sunset and he's never seen again. Morgan's body was never found, but an investigation was conducted and members of the local lodge were put on trial for his death. There was a trial that was held of the Masons who had abducted him. The judge in the case was a Mason. The governor, he was a Mason. I believe the sheriff was a Mason. You had all these Masons involved with the prosecutor of the crime, and lo and behold, nobody is convicted for the murder of William Morgan. That sets off this massive national wave of hysteria against the Masons. This resulted in an anti-Masonic excitement that lasted from 1826 to 1842. And for that period, it was very unpopular to be a Freemason. So there you go. All the people that were involved in the trial, the judges, the lawyers, they were all Freemasons. Every one of them. Every one of them. So people ask us all the time, you're conspiracy nuts. Well, even here, here's a perfect example. Yeah. A perfect example of here's a guy that's going to expose your secrets, right? He's, he's going to tell the world all your, you know, dark secrets. If, if they weren't so dark, if they were so benign, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Yeah. You're so afraid you're going to stack the, I don't was it a jury? I'm not sure if it was a jury trial or not, but you're going to stack the lawyers. You're going to stack the judges. You're going to stack everybody. They're all have affiliations with the Freemasons. And what this did was this led for a long time. Well, what the, what the video say up to 1842, it seemed like the Freemasons really didn't live this down. Right. So, you know, whether, whether these, these similarities or not go towards a conspiracy, I, I would say yes. Sure. I mean, you have all the elements of a conspiracy there. I mean, that, that's exactly what that is. Make no mistake about it. Make no mistake about it. And again, I want to touch on a, a few things real quick. Um, these are some of the other correlations we found with the Freemasons going back to the ancient Egyptians. Um, the white apron that you always see the Freemasons wear. Uh, when a candidate becomes a Freemason, he is presented with a white apron consisting of a square overlaid with a triangle. At the apex of the triangular flap represents the divine spark. We must endeavor to recover. It is the part of us that made in the image of our creator, and there is no better geometric figure to symbolize this than the triangle. After all, geometrically, geometrically, a triangle is the very first shape that can be made by drawing straight lines. This is why the number 3, 33, all these different variations, have been venerated by the ancients still to this day. And then again, you talk about the triangle of the divine spark. All right. In Judaism, the triangle represents the past, present, future. And with the Chinese, it, pre- it represents heaven, earth, and water. Shout out to my water fans out there. The Holy Trinity. The Holy Trinity. The Hindus, it represents creation, preservation, renewal. The three points of the triangle also represent conscious mind, subconscious mind, and the collective unconsciousness. And with the ancient Egyptians... And their ceremony of initiation led the candidate to a door shaped exactly as a Masonic apron. A triangle over a square symbolizing his progression from an earthly material existence, the square, 
into a heavenly spiritual existence of a higher learning, the triangle. So there's there's a direct connection with the ancient Egyptian schools with the Masons, right? Here's a, here's a really another interesting one that I found. Uh, the Masonic symbol of the point within a circle inside two parallels, the perpendicular lines, which are steeped in antiquity. The early Egyptians' monuments have been discovered inscribed with the symbol of God, represented by the Alpha and the Omega, in the center of a circle bordered by two perpendicular parallel serpents. In many ancient beliefs, systems, and mystery schools, a circle was used to symbolize God as like a circle. God has no beginning and no end. And that's one of the Masons' really, really important symbol symbology. And then this one, everybody might want to remember this one for future podcasts, the honeycomb. Okay? One of the emblems of the third degree of Freemasons is the honeycomb. Many ancient civilizations revered bees and honey. The ancient Egyptians developed methods of advanced apiculture as far back as 3000 BC. And they were called the beekeepers, a title bestowed on all subsequent pharaohs. So here again, <laughs> this is a correlation with the beekeepers, but also think and keep in back in your guys' mind the idea of the honeycomb and the hexagonal shape Very of the honeycomb. Okay. And, and, and obviously another great uh, simple relation to all these secret societies is keeping everything silence, right? The the secrecy and silence plays a big part in both Masonic teachings and the ancient mystery schools. And one of the things that uh, there was a, a man, uh, I'm sorry, Apulus was his name, who was an initiate of the mysteries of Isis. And he had two quotes. He said, We shall find that the old Egyptians had so great a regard for silence and secrecy in the mysteries of their religion that they set up the god Hippocrates, to whom they paid peculiar honor and veneration, who was represented with the right hand placed near the heart. Interesting, that's what we do whenever we pledge allegiance to the flag. Mm-hmm. And the left side down by his side, covered with the skin before, full of his eyes and ears, to signify that of many things to be seen and heard, few are to be published. And then the last of his quotes is, By no peril will I ever be compelled to disclose the uninitiated, the things that I have entrusted to me on the condition of silence. So this sort of, you know, almost brainwashing, this mind control. This goes back to people who have followed these societies for, what, at least... Six, seven, eight thousand years, however long back, you know, the, the yeah. Egyptian code goes back to. So, yeah, there, there's for those who, who wanted some real factual comparison, how we go all the way back to the Egyptians. This is a good lead into how they connect with the Masons. You know, their door was shaped like the Masons apron, you know, on and on and on. And if you dig into it yourself, if you guys are interested in this subject, you're going to see even more connections. Yeah, and I think you know, when it, whenever you and I talk about secret societies, when people talk about secret societies and they talk about this secret society and that secret society, and there's a different one here, there, and everywhere else. To me, 
And from what I've seen in a different research that you and I have done, they all seem to go back to one and the same. So it almost seems like maybe they create another to take the focus off of one and, you know, maybe one gets attention to take focus off of another bait and switch. Yeah. Bait and switch. And that seems like what we're dealing with here with all these different secret societies, uh, skull and bones, uh, Illuminati, Freemasons, um, the Bilderbergs, Bilderbergs, Bilderbergers, Bilderbergers, Bilderbergers. (laughs) But that's, that's kind of the uh, similarities that, that we're seeing. And again, that's what it seems like to me. It seems like it all goes back to, you know, like one, derived secret society. Oh, secret societies have to go all the way back to the origin of man and tribalism and and the, you know, formation of society. I mean, we could also bring up the Templars, and I'm sure we will. I think we're going to end this podcast here because our next podcast we know is going to be a lot longer than this one. There's going to be much more information in the next podcast. Some stuff that you and I recently learned about. We could talk more on a WEF. WEF, right? Right. WEF. Nice um, Templar. Nice Templar. And there's a, there's a correlation between those two entities as well. As well as we're going to talk about another secret society that you and I had recently learned about. Which is, to our notion or to our belief, a real secret society because as much as this stuff we're into... This is the first time that you or I have actually even been exposed to this particular group. There's a lot of correlation with the the inner workings of everything that you and I have talked about throughout this podcast and in different episodes, and especially the one we're about to cover after the next episode, uh, 9-11. So next episode, we'll be talking about the WEFs, Nice Templar, in the Brotherhood of Saturn. The Brotherhood of Saturn. Some dark, dark stuff there. And uh, it's it's going to bring in a lot of uh, a lot of previous episodes. Um, the Federal Reserve, obviously, is going to be brought in. These different secret societies, Illuminati, this, that, and everything else. Trafficking of the children is going to be brought in. Aliens. All of it comes together. Uh, or begins to come together, right? So we, we start to pull some of these these puzzle pieces together to create an even more fuckery of a picture for everybody and all of our listeners out there, if possible. Because that's what we try to do. Try to connect the dots. Try to connect the dots to make somewhat of a picture and allow you to see it for what it is. Right? I think that's, that's well said, right? Yeah. Until then, Jeffro. Until then, Mario. <laughs>